Good morning once again and welcome. Thank you for being with us. I do apologize for my mistake with my microphone earlier. Hopefully you were able to hear me. And for those of you that are tuned in on the live stream, it was probably a challenge and I'm really sorry about that. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. And while you're turning, y'all are going to have to excuse me to do a little bit of housekeeping, a little more than we would normally do. Uh, but there's a lot going on and I need to address it. So first of all, if you're a guest, I am so grateful that you're here with us. And I would ask you to do me a favor and just let us know you were here. You can tear off uh, I have the wrong piece of paper in my hand, but there's a little tear-off on your bulletin that you can use. Uh, you can also go to our website at malvinhill.org slash connect and fill out a card there. Or there's actually one tucked right in the pew in front of you for most of you. And you can fill out that card and drop it in the plate. Or you can even scan the QR code. I mean, we have given you lots of opportunities to let us know you were here. So please do that. Second this morning, uh, next, next Sunday, we move to our new uh, two-service schedule. So you will not be able, if you get here at 10.30, you'll be in life group, and that's fine. But uh, uh, our worship times will be at 8.30 and at, 10, and at 11 o'clock. So I hope that you will be with us next week. Many of you have already signed up to pray for us this week. There was an email that went out and several other opportunities and links. We will resend that again tomorrow. But if you have signed up to pray for us, I hope that you'll do that. I've already heard from some of you that have prayed already this morning for what God is going to do here in our church in the next weeks. So please join with us. Our goal is to pray every hour for the next seven days. And so those, uh, that, that opportunity, that link is still up, but we will send that out again if you haven't signed up. Uh, please do that. Um, the uh, third thing, again, a lot of things. Third thing, right after service this morning, there will be a meeting for anybody involved with our greeters ministry. And if you're not involved with our greeters ministry, but you'd like to be, I'd encourage you to hang around the meeting. We will try to get you out of here in about 15 minutes. But we just, with the, the new shift coming next Sunday, we need to make sure we hit some highlights and do our best to get the, the, the sort of known unknowns out of the way and address some of those things. So please plan to hang around for just a few minutes with us afterward. And then finally, and this is uh, one last bit of housekeeping, the shift to two services gives us the opportunity and excuse to do some things that we should be doing anyway, just to be totally honest. Um, and one of those things is really to double down on some of our security stuff and things like that. One big change um, that we are going to be enforcing uh, in the coming weeks and months is this. Um, and this is not a big issue, but I'm just letting you know, okay? During, uh, any time during worship or life group, the only people that are going to be allowed in the children's building are, are those people who are actually serving. Um, so I know that some of you, you might like to walk and look in on the babies. Uh, we can't, we're just not going to continue to allow that. We can't do that. So uh, it's disruptive for one thing. And also uh, when folks drop their babies off, they got to know who's in there. So uh, just help us out. Uh, if you're not on the list to be in there, uh, you need to be in here. This is where you should be. You're being a life group. So, um, uh, and I'm saying that from here, and this is why, because some of our life group leaders in the children's building are going to have to look at some of you and go, I'm sorry, you can't be in here with the babies, and y'all are going to be tempted to get mad at them. So I'm saying it publicly, so if you're going to get mad, I'm your guy, right? So just call me if you don't like it. I love you, um, but uh, we can talk through it. But that's just what we have to do. That's actually what our policy is anyway. We've not always done a really excellent job of enforcing that. And so um, that's what we'll be doing. So work with us on that. All right. Having said all of those things, I'm excited for all that God's doing in our church. And I'm excited for what the future holds. If you have your Bible, again, we're in the book of Acts chapter 17. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's word. We're going to begin reading in verse 16. 
I told y'all to turn and then I didn't. Not following my own instructions. All right. Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 16. Here now, for this is God's word. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would give us insight and understanding from your word. Father God, as we consider this word this morning and those who have been set free by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I pray that we would be the kind of people who allow you to interrupt our schedules, that we would be passionate to see people set free from the pains of sin. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As you see, we have the Lord's Supper this morning, so we will transition to that. Uh, What happens if you're new here, what will happen is toward the end of my sermon, children will actually begin streaming back in because they will participate in the Lord's Supper with us. So if that happens, I don't want you to be alarmed. There's nothing crazy going on. We just want to make sure that we include our kids as much as we can. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? We, we find ourselves in Acts chapter 17, which to be totally honest, this is the beginning of one of the more famous passages in the book of Acts, especially in, really in the entire New Testament. It's in this passage of scripture that we begin to wrestle with Paul's, probably what is Paul's most famous oration. It's Paul's uh, defense of the gospel at the Areopagus, their own Mars Hill in Athens. We're going to dig into the details of that more next week. But today what we're looking at are the events that precipitate Paul's defense there on Mars Hill. We're looking at the events that lead up to Paul's huge oration. And it begins right here in actually not Acts 17, 16. It begins back in Acts 17, 14 when it says, The brothers immediately sent Paul on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. What we have right here is a story of Paul ending up in Athens, okay? And Paul ends up in Athens, not with any particular purpose in life. Paul ends up in Athens for this reason, to wait. Paul is in a waiting room in Athens waiting for Silas and Timothy to catch up with him. And it's in this place that Paul begins to do what becomes some of his most famous ministry. Folks, have you ever had God put you in a situation where you were able to do something that made a difference and you had no intention of making a difference at all? Has God ever given you an opportunity out of the blue? Has it ever been the case that some of the greatest things that you've been able to accomplish for God's kingdom took place not because you desired to be there, but because God put you there and had a different plan? Has God ever changed your plans? This morning, as we look at this word, I want to give you a few things Uh, that I believe jump out. We have four, which is at least one more than usual, and we have the Lord's Supper. So y'all got to buckle up. We got a lot to get through this morning. The first thing this morning is we think about what is it you're going to do. I want to encourage you to allow God to change your plans. Allow God to change 
your plans. I told you, Paul is not at the, in Athens because he went there looking for an opportunity for ministry. Paul's in Athens because he got kicked out of Berea. And when he got kicked out of Berea, he went down to Athens and he's just twiddling his thumbs waiting for Silas and Timothy to join him. And while he's there, the Bible says that God changed his plans. Now, how was it? The Bible says that Paul was waiting for them and his spirit was provoked. Folks, I want to encourage you to allow God to change your plan. I got a verse for you to look at this morning. Proverbs 16, 9 says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Paul didn't go there to minister. Paul didn't go there to do anything that mattered. Paul went there to wait. Has God ever put you on hold so someone else could find you? Has God ever put you on hold so that somebody else could wander into your life? Because God had a plan, a purpose for your life that you didn't anticipate, one that you weren't prepared, excuse me, prepared for. Folks, I want to encourage you to make plans in your life. I absolutely want to encourage you to make plans in your life, but I want you to make sure that you hold those plans with an open enough hand that when God gives you something else, that you actually take that and run with it. This move to two services is one of those, one of those opportunities for us to see exactly how it is that we made a plan, but God sent something else our way, and we decided we need to shift gears. If you recall, we weren't going to go two services. We weren't going to go two services, and a hundred times over, we weren't going to go two services. We were going to do overflow. We were going to do this. We were going to do that. Well, the reality was it just didn't work. God kept sending too many people in here, and we had to come up with another plan. Okay, We were sitting around trying to do what we wanted, but God had something else that he desired for us to do, and he's given us these opportunities. Folks, I want you to know that often answering God's call to ministry is not going to look like some big supernatural phone call. Okay? Now, I wish it did, right? Let's just talk about this move to two services. I wish that I could stand up in front of you and I could say, the Lord has called upon me and led us into this direction. And somebody would shout amen from the back. And it would be wonderful. But the reality is that I believe God's leading, in this, leading us in this direction. Here's the supernatural call that he gave to lead us in this direction. It came from our nursery volunteers who said, there are 15 babies. Where are we going to put them? And I said, wait a minute, if we have 15 babies when there are 400 people here, what are we going to do if there are 600 people here? I said, we can make space for all of you big people to sit. The problem is I can't make space for the little people. There's where we run into an issue, you understand? There wasn't a supernatural call from the Lord. He didn't skyrocket it. We looked at our options, we looked at our opportunities, and we recognized that we couldn't fulfill them with the plan that we had. And so as a result, we decided we're going to move in this other direction. We believe we're walking in God's will, but here's what you're going to find out. You're going to find that you're going to often discover God's will is more clear to you in the rearview mirror than it ever is out the windshield. You're going to be able to look back and say, man, God had a plan in all of those things, a plan that I didn't anticipate. Sometimes God's plan in the front is not even going to look too exciting. It's not going to look very enjoyable. Sometimes God's plan isn't going to make sense in the moment. And yet there it will be. God sends Paul to Athens. How? Because he got run out of Berea. And he goes down there and he's twiddling his thumbs. And when he gets there, he gets mad. And as a result of that, Paul sees an opportunity for ministry. Folks, let me encourage you. Allow God to establish your steps. Allow it. Allow it. Why don't we? Sometimes we are so prideful. Well, I've already made a decision. This is what we're going to do. Has it ever occurred to you that maybe your decision's wrong? It might be. And sometimes it's not like blatantly, sinfully wrong. Sometimes it's just putting you in the wrong place. Be willing to allow God to establish your steps. See, I said allow God to change your plan, 
But that doesn't get very personal, does it? When I say allow him to establish your steps, here's what I'm saying to you. Be willing to not just change the idea, but actually change the steps. Go a different place because God told you to go. Go a different place because God closed a door. Don't allow one closed door to just be an excuse for you to be done with ministry. Imagine if Paul said, oh, well, the Bereans didn't want to hear it, so I'm just done. Instead, he got to Athens and he didn't say, I'm just done. He looked around and said, oh, well, maybe there's an opportunity right here in front of me. How many of you have an opportunity for ministry right in front of you? How many of you are missing it too often? There are opportunities for you to make an impact in the world around you. And there are more opportunities sometimes than we give credit for. Don't miss those. So allow God to change your plan. Second thing this morning, be sensitive to the enslavement of sin. Remember how I said that you need to allow God to change your plans? I had to allow God to change my plan for this sermon. You're going to see why in just a minute. But I'd actually written out points to this message, and I had to go back and change them. And the reason I had to go back and change them is because, guess what? Even though I liked the message I was preparing to preach, my message didn't fit the text of God's Word. As I studied deeper into that word, I discovered there was something there I hadn't anticipated. But I want you to be sensitive. Part of that being open to God moving us is being sensitive to the enslavement of sin. Let me encourage you, never allow sin to be normal. Never allow sin to be normal. We live in a culture that is immersed in sinful lifestyles and sinful choices. We live in a culture that calls sin righteous and righteousness sin. And as a result of that, we can become inoculated to the sin around us. And here's what I mean by that. We can, we can get little dose, little dose, little dose to such a degree that we forget that that thing is actually a bad thing. We can actually do that. Let me encourage you to be sensitive to the enslavement of sin. The people you see around you that are living lifestyles that are far away from God, they're enslaved to sin and they are in desperate need of a Savior. Now look, I, I recall years ago, there are things that we get used to. And as a pastor, one of the things, believe it or not, that you can get used to really quickly is death. Now, we, we, uh, our, our church body is so young here today that we don't do tons and tons of funerals right now, but... Uh, Buster and I sat a few uh, months back and thought, man, what if we could count up all the funerals that he and I had done together? And it's, it's, I don't know, 50, 60, I would imagine at this point in time that he and I have done together. But we went through a period of time, a couple of years, where we just did funeral after funeral after funeral. And you can really become used to death. At that same time, my wife was working for hospice. Everybody she knew was dying. And so for she and I, there was, there was a comfort level that came with death. And if you're not careful, you can actually become a little callous to the death around you. You don't mean to. But death is just something to be managed rather than something to be experienced. And so as a pastor, I do funerals and I sit down with people. And the, the way I became really acutely aware of this was two things. First of all, I sat with a family with a funeral director one time and he walked through all the business that needed to be handled. And he never showed any empathy for the situation these people were in. And it broke my heart. And it broke my heart because for that moment, for, for one brief moment, I was on the other side of the desk. I wasn't the guy trying to get them through the process. I was the guy with a grieving family watching somebody manage it. That was hard. The other thing that happened for me, though, we had a sweet senior adult lady that passed away about a decade ago. 
And I'll, I don't know why it was that in that particular moment, she, her, her death was a little unexpected, and I pulled up to the house to minister to her. And I remember, I remember driving uh, an, an old Ford truck that I had at the time. I pulled up and I, I parked alongside her fence. And as I opened the door to get out, it was during one of those periods of time where it just seemed like everybody was dying. And I just wasn't ready for her to die. And I sat in my truck for just a moment. I took a deep breath. And it was in that moment that I was reminded that death is not normal. It's an invader in this world. God didn't create us to experience death. He created us to live in perfect communion with him for all of eternity. And so it's appropriate that death would hurt us. It's appropriate that death would even anger us because death is not normal. And in that moment, I remember just getting so angry. So angry because death had robbed our community of someone they dearly loved. Folks, it's appropriate for us to be sensitive to the enslavement of sin. And, and, and this is what the Lord did to my sermon. You see, the, the point that I had intended to give to you guys as my second point was be broken and not angry. But there's a major problem with that. When the Bible teaches us in verse 16 that Paul was waiting in Athens and his spirit was provoked within him. There is only one meaning for that word and it's not broken. He was angry. He was ticked off. He was filled with righteous indignation. This word is only used one other time in the New Testament. It's in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul uses it when he says love is not easily angered or ticked off or provoked. The Bible says that when Paul looked around, he was mad. But I want to be real careful. Because I want us to consider what kind of anger Paul experienced. The Bible says, Paul was waiting for them at Athens. His spirit was provoked within him as he saw the people that were sinful and disagreed with him. Some of y'all looking at me, you didn't even look at the text. Some of y'all liked that because that sounded exactly like what you want to do. Some of y'all like that because it sounded exactly like what you like to do on social media and, you know, the news. I got mad because they did something I didn't like. And so now I've got justification to be angry all the time. Because they don't do what I want them to do and they don't live the way I think they should live. Here's the problem. That's not what God's Word says. God's Word says that Paul looked around him and saw the idols and he was provoked. Paul looked around and he saw the hold that these sinful pagan idols had on these people. And he was provoked when Jesus wept at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. The Bible says that he was moved in that moment. Commentators for all these years have wrestled through exactly what it means, but at, at, at the very least what they know is that it means that Jesus was passionately impacted in that moment and he wept. Was it just grief that his friend had died? Or was it something deeper, an anger 
That, that, that word almost seems to suggest that there was sort of an anger at what had happened to Lazarus. An anger at the way that the people were being impacted by Lazarus' death. And Jesus wept. If Jesus was indeed angry, his anger moved him to tears. To brokenness. See, the reality is I can't preach the sermon I plan to preach because I know what the text says. But that's kind of what the text actually does tell us. Paul's anger led him to do something. Folks, let me encourage you, when you're sensitive to the enslavement of sin around you, to be angry and do not sin. It is possible to be angry and not sin, but it is more likely that we are angry and we sin. I know that's not fun. I get it. It's not kind or nice. But here's what I don't want anybody to do is to leave here and go, aha, I circled it in my Bible. And right now, I've got the excuse I needed to be angry at all of those sinners around me. I've got God's righteous indignation toward them. Oh, y'all think it's funny because I ain't got down to the sin that really bothers you the most, right? Like everybody's like, ha-ha, I would never do that, right? Okay. Like if I start naming off sins, some of y'all are going to, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'm going to hit the one and you're going to go, well, we should hate those people. <laughs> Problem. Problem. Anger towards the idols. Now here's where it could get really exciting if I start naming off idols. Wouldn't that be fun? Wouldn't it? You know what some of your greatest idol is? Your anger at the culture around you. Oh, you love it. It's great. And we're already, like, politics kick off earlier to help us be angry quicker and longer. It's wonderful, right? And they're making a fortune off of ticking us off. That's all they do. That's all our social media feeds do is try to make us angry because the angrier you get, the more you click. And the more you click, the more money they make off of you. All they want is your attention. They don't really care how you vote or how you think. All they want is your attention. If they can make you mad, then they get all of your attention. Everything's good, Right? How mad are we going to be? I'm okay with you being angry. But here's what I want you to be angry about. I want you to be angry at the things that enslave the people around you. That's what I want you to be angry about. I want you to be broken for the people and angry at the things that enslave them. But I want you to be angry and not sin. The Bible says that Paul was so engaged and enraged. He was enraged and engaged. But his rage led him to engage with them in conversation. The first thing he did is he went to the synagogue. And he debated he preached, he engaged, and then he went to the marketplace. And the Bible says he kind of dealt with the regular common people. And then he dealt with the Epicureans and the Stoics. If we're not careful, we read, we read this and we just lump it all into one thing. There are four different groups of people listed in this passage of Scripture. Four different groups, each of which has their own struggles, each of which has their own pet sin, or their own idols, their own kinds of idolatry, their own kinds of sinful lifestyle. Let's just look at the two philosophy, philosopher groups right here. You got the Epicureans and the Stoics. The Epicureans were hedonists. They kind of felt like, well, it doesn't matter what the world, doesn't matter at all. So you just eat, drink, and be merry, and get all you can get. That's what they were, fulfill all of your desires. The Stoics were ascetics. The Stoics said, don't cry when your mama dies. We're not, we're not displaying any emotion. We're not gratifying any of our fleshly desires. And both of them are wrong. 
But they're both thrown on huge opposite ends of the spectrum. And the Bible says that Paul reasoned with them. Reasoned with them. Not screamed at them. Not yelled at them. He didn't go set up a boycott on the corner. Tell them how sinful and hell-driven they were. He went and he began to talk. Isn't it an amazing thing that we might actually be able to see people who are far from Jesus as human beings in need of a Savior and not objects of our scorn? That we could see those who are trapped in sexual sin and see them not as an enemy, but see them as people who desperately need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sensitive to the enslavement of sin. But third, this morning, follow through in faith. See, I'm having to rush through this. I know. I, I really want to preach you this in about two hours. I'm trying to whet your appetite because next Sunday, what's well, going to be real crazy. I'm going to tell Kevin we can only sing one song next week because i got to be quick because we have both services. So we'll sing one song and I'll preach for like 55 minutes. I think that'll go. Um, <laughs> just gonna, we're not going to tell you until you show up, though. It's like a bait and switch kind of thing. Listen, so the Bible says that Paul was provoked, but when he got provoked, he didn't go pick a fight. Listen, y'all, anger can motivate you for a while, but it can also eat you up and make you bitter. I want to give you a warning. Christians can be bitter people. And this is how it usually happens. You become legalistic. You become convinced of your own way 100%. And then you begin to judge everybody around you that isn't living the life that you think they should live. Now what's wonderful about some of you is you're able to actually defend that position. It's, it's great. Well, I choose holiness. So did Jesus, right? And he was hanging out with the people that you are talking about behind their backs. And he warned us about gossip. When I surrendered, and some of you heard my testimony, I still use an old word. I surrendered to God's call to ministry in my life because I fought it and I finally just gave up and said, if that's what you want, that's good, let's go. That's fine. But I'll never forget I had a friend, her dad was a pastor, very, very legalistic um, sort of in, independent-minded guy. And uh, I'll never forget, she looked at me and she said, please don't get that preacher frown. I was like, what is that? Like, I, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. She said, my dad and all of his friends are so unhappy. They're angry about everything. That has stuck with me. That is stuck. Now, I, want, I desire and I want to desire holiness even more than I do. But folks, let me tell you who it is that you need to desire holiness for. The person that looks at you in the mirror every morning. You are the only person you can control. You can't control anybody else. You can't legislate their holiness. You can't. Because you could... You could govern every step of their life and you still have zero control over their thought life. Do you know whose you can control? Yours. And that's it. 
The Bible says that Paul was provoked because of the idols around him. And he went and he began to speak to them of the sinful pagan gods who were holding them captive. Folks, I want you to find your motivation not in your anger. I want you to find your motivation in love for God and the Great Commission. Because if you're allowing your anger to drive you, you're not going to win anybody to Jesus. You're going to drive them away. Jesus said the world will know you by your love for one another. Do you know how quickly Christian love can turn into Christian judgmentalism, Christian legalism, and Christian anger? When a bunch of Christians get together and begin to talk about how holy they are and how well they've got it all figured out, and they begin to cast stones at the people around them that aren't living lives that honor Jesus. When you're tempted to do that, I want to remind you of a lady that Jesus encountered by the well in Samaria that everyone else had cast out and Jesus welcomed in. Follow through in faith. Let me just ask you a question. This might be kind of mean. Do people want to be around you? Do you have the kind of personality that people want to be around or do people get around you? And they feel judged. Let me just help you with this. Most of them don't feel convicted when they get around you, okay? I know you want to say, well, they just felt convicted by their sin. No, they didn't feel convicted by their sin. They felt judged because you looked at them and told them they were a slut. Yes, I said it. It's an ugly word. And this is why I said it because I've heard Christian people say that to others. And if those are the words that you're throwing around about others or you're talking about their addiction or you're talking about their lifestyle as opposed to loving them into Christ. Well, Craig, we got to tell them about their sin. Absolutely. But do you know that I'm actually able to have conversations with you all about your sin without calling you ugly names? It's actually possible. I'm actually able to invite you to dinner and have a conversation with you about the sin that you need to turn from. I've actually been able to put my arm around some of you men and say, I'm concerned about the way you're treating your wife without throwing you on the ground and stomping a hole in you. I'm actually able to do it. And the Bible says that Paul was angry. And what did he do? He engaged with them in conversation. He met them where they were. Find your motivation and your love for God and the Great Commission, not in your judgment of others. And finally this morning, this morning, keep the main thing the main thing. Keep reading with me. What does this babbler wish to say? He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. I have had lots of philosophy classes. I am nerdy. I read philosophy books. I listen to philosophy lectures. I have a minor in apologetics at the doctoral level. My dissertation included apologetics, okay? I love to argue. There it is. I said it. I do. And I love to win an argument even more than I like to be engaged in an argument, okay? That's the truth. I'll say it, right? And if some of you want to argue with me, let's go. I'm ready. Let's have a good time. But let's either do it on the stage where everybody can know we're going to hug each other after or do it behind closed doors. I don't want us to do it online. I want to do it right. We're going to get it on. 
And when we finish, the difference between me and you, or maybe you, the difference is I'm still going to love you. I will still hug your neck. Some of y'all can't do that because you've not yet reached the level where you can have a dispassionate disagreement. And a dispassionate disagreement is this, where I can look at you and I can say, I think you are as wrong as wrong can be. And I passionately disagree with everything you believe in, but I can still respect you as a human being. Some of y'all haven't made it to that level. That's why some of you can't have these conversations, because you don't have a conversation, you just have an argument. Paul didn't sit around and run out into the marketplace and say, can I trap everybody in a bad argument? And then, boom, I'm going to drop the bomb on them, tell them exactly how wrong they are. And then they'll come to Jesus. Nobody, Y'all, let me tell you something. I doubt I could get anybody in here to stand up, raise their hand and tell me, you got saved because you lost an argument last week. Somebody just absolutely destroyed you in an argument, ripped you down, tore you up, and then you said, how may I be saved? Paul kept the main thing the main thing. He's engaging in conversation with the Epicureans and the Stoics. These are the philosophers of his day. And he doesn't go to them and begin conversations about asceticism or about excess He doesn't look at the Epicureans and say, you need to stop sleeping with everything with two legs. He doesn't go to the Stoics and say, you need to start actually enjoying a little bit of life. He just gets straight to Jesus. He keeps the main thing the main thing. Folks, we need to focus on rescue and not revenge. We need to focus on rescue and not revenge. The people around you that don't know Jesus, they need to be delivered from their sin. You ready? Jesus died to set sinners free, not to beat them up. Some of us want revenge on those people who are living lives that we think are wrong, but the the vengeance was taken on the cross of Jesus. Jesus has already taken their punishment. In just a few minutes, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. And it's a wonderful reminder that Jesus didn't come to take revenge on sinners like you and me. He came to set us free. And folks, listen, it's important. It's important that as we're talking about sinners, that we regularly use the second person plural and not always the third person. For those of you that aren't still in an English class, first person is I, third person is you. Second person is we, us, me. Oh, it's really easy for me to see the sin in other people's lives and to completely discount the sin in my own. But the reality is that all sin is sin. And because of every sin that's ever been committed in your life or mine, we deserve punishment. But Jesus didn't die to get revenge on sinners. Jesus died to set sinners free. Do you see those around you who are trapped in sin as enemies or as people in need of rescue? You see, it's okay for us to be angered by the sin around us, but it is not okay for us to respond in ungodly ways. I hope that when you see people in sin, you recognize the sin that has them trapped and that it breaks your heart. But my hope and my prayer is that your response looks more like Jesus and less like the world.
Jesus who gave his life on a cross and died so that we might live. You see, in just a minute, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, and that's why we take the Lord's Supper. We observe the Lord's Supper as a reminder that Jesus Christ died for our sin and for the sins of the world. We observe the Lord's Supper as a reminder that the blood of Jesus is sufficient for your sins and for my sins and for the sins of every person who would call upon the name of the Lord. We observe the Lord's Supper because Jesus died and rose again. In Athens, Paul was provoked. He was angered by the gods that held these people captive. But his response was not in anger. You see the difference? He responded in love. Why? Because we are to love as Christ first loved us and gave his life as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Our deacons are going to come forward this morning and they're going to help us with the Lord's Supper. And as these guys come forward, I want you to reflect this morning on Christ's sacrifice and what it means for your life. I want you to reflect this morning on Christ's sacrifice and what it means for the way that you minister to others. I want you to reflect this morning on Christ's sacrifice and how it is that you should respond in care and compassion. Folks, I want to remind you that Jesus Christ died to set sinners free. And such were you and I. And were it not for the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, our destiny would not be with Christ but would be to experience the punishment of our sin. We too were enslaved. And there's probably some of you here today who are still enslaved to sin. This morning as we observe the Lord's Supper, the Bible teaches us that this represents the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus. The Bible also warns us that this is a memorial meal that is given for those who belong to Christ. If you're here today... And you're one of those people trapped in your sin and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. I would ask you, do not take this meal. Instead, I would urge you take Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Today can be the day of your salvation. In just a few minutes, we're going to give you a chance to respond to this sermon. But for the rest of you, I encourage you to take the Lord's Supper. I'm going to read to you from God's Word, beginning in chapter, verse 17 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says, uh, excuse me, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given it, or given thanks, he broke it. This morning, I'm going to pass this out to our deacons. They'll bring it around, and after you've received it, we'll take a moment to pray over it together. Generally, we pray over this before we pass it out, but I like the idea of you guys having tactile reminder of Jesus' sacrifice as we pray this morning thanking him. Join with me as we pray. Father God, thank you so much that you sent Jesus Christ to give his life 
on the cross for our sin. May we never take it for granted. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says that Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And afterward, in the same way, the Bible says that he took the cup. In the same way he took the cup, let's pray. Father God, thank you for the shed blood of Jesus. Father, just as we pray, we wouldn't grow accustomed to the sin around us. Pray, Lord God, we would never grow accustomed to the incredible grace, the costly sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It would always amaze us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The Bible says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And we know that when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper with his disciples on the night before he was killed, that they had the Lord's Supper and they celebrated a meal together and then they sang a song. And in just a moment, we're going to sing together as a church body. We're going to sing in celebration of Christ's rescuing death on the cross of Jesus Christ. This morning I preached a sermon that, to be totally honest, was primarily geared toward believers. It was geared toward all of us. And it's, it's a good reminder because I believe that probably the greatest danger our country faces right now is the, is the spirit of anger that runs through us. We, we find a way to sort of be mad and hate nearly everybody. Well, then the church, one of my greatest fears is that we would take that spirit of anger that permeates our culture and bring it into the church and baptize it. And claim it to be godly. Paul was angry at the idols that held these people captive. And he proclaimed to them the hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning there may be believers here today who've heard this message and have observed the Lord's Supper. And have been reminded that Jesus didn't die to get revenge for your sin on you but instead to set you free. And today you need to pray. For the Lord to forgive you for the anger you felt toward others and the resentment. But there may also be somebody here today who knows exactly what I'm talking about when I speak of being enslaved to sin. That today you sit there not sure how to get out. You're not sure what the next step is. And this idea that Jesus would love you enough to die for your sin and would love you right in the middle of all of your mess is almost too good to be true. I want you to know that Jesus loves you right where you are and desires for you to be with him. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, in just a moment we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And I would invite you to step out of your seat and to come forward right where I'll be standing. I'd love to have somebody talk with you and pray with you about how it is that you can be set free from that prison of sin. And finally, there's some of you who are believers today who are living in the prison of the own sin that you've created. You're being robbed of joy. You're being, you're being robbed of the opportunity to be effective in God's kingdom because you're cozying up with your sin instead of living in relationship with your Savior.
today invite you to come and be made right with Jesus. Stand with me as we sing and as we pray. Father God, thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die for our sin. Thank you that Jesus is enough. And I pray, Father, that we would find hope in Jesus Christ alone. In his name we pray. Amen.